Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It's my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Elliot Adams. Elliot was an Army paratrooper, infantry in Vietnam, Japan, Korea, and Alaska, and became a leading peace activist, was a national president of Veterans for Peace some years back, uh, and has been leading various peace efforts in the United States and outside of it. He has conducted nonviolence and social movement trainings for organizations like Fellowship of Reconciliation, School of America's Watch, Peacemakers of Shoheri, if I'm pronouncing that right, Student Environmental Action Coalition, War Resisters League, etc. And he currently works with the Meta Peace Team and is co-chair of Creating a Culture of Peace. We will ask him about that. He has taken uh, three trips, I guess, two just in the past two years, to the West Bank and is just back from a couple of months in the West Bank, uh, and we will ask him what's happening there. Elliot Adams, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, it's wonderful, wonderful to be on your show. Uh, you do such great work. I really admire the work you do. And, and I know you've got a little bit of a cold. I appreciate you, you coming on uh, anyway, and I appreciate all the work you've been doing. What did you see on your most recent trip to Palestine? It's, it's hard. It's hard to see the uh, oppression at all kinds of faces. It's communities that were in, like, Falun, uh, where I spent time documenting the houses that have been demolished and the houses that are truly demolished. And it's just amazing to see houses all around the whole community and, and wonder how a community can survive on that. In many of these houses, the, they build the house. You know, they spent their life getting ready to build this house and build a new house. And then the Israeli government says, oh, no, we're going to demolish it. And they had no way of knowing ahead of time it was going to get demolished when they built it. So it's hard, to, it's hard to understand, for example, how that community just survives in this. And then there's a whole bunch of houses which are not being, another group of houses, which is not being demolished. But that's only under the condition that they, one, don't live in it, two, don't finish it, and three, don't work on it, which is kind of like demolition, too. So that's one of the, one of the faces we saw. We were in nearby, uh, over in Tukurum. We were at, at Kaduri University. Uh, we had heard that there had been, that the army had been, that the Israeli army had been attacking the students, and we went there uh, to try to quantify what we were hearing and found that, you know, probably, I would say while we were there, on, on the average, five out of seven days at the university, the Israeli army would come on the campus and, and would literally shoot people. Um, you know, we were, I was in the cafeteria one day, and, and the tear gas drove us out. We were at an art exhibit, tear gas drove us out. It was just amazing. The executives of the university said, the administrators of the university said, um, well, you know, we are, we are the only university in the world that has a train, military training base on our campus. And there was this facility right next to the campus. But when I went to look at it, I found two things. First of all, it's complete. There's nothing there. Uh, there's not a single window in, any of the, in anything there. There's not a door there. There's not a, a roof to keep rain out. So it's obviously abandoned sort of nothing. And when I looked at the maps, the UN does not record it as a military, as a military anything. Um, but it's right next to the campus, and um, as I say, maybe five out of the seven days of the week, uh, the soldiers go there and um, start attacking the university. Often, oftentimes they come right up the middle of the university and uh, um, shooting t- 
tear gas, percussion grenades, uh, rubber coated steel bullets, real, live ammunition, real, real you know, 20, uh, real ammunition. Um, and it's just amazing. And, and as the administrator said, you know, how, how, how can we, you know, we're supposed to be creating an environment for, for education and for people to learn. Um, now, it seems that by the time we left and we tried to get a lot of, a lot of publicity for it, it seems that that had stopped. But, but still, it's just appalling. And, and uh, what explanation, Elliot Adams, if any, did the Israeli military or the Israeli government offer for such behavior? They offer none. The uh, university has applied many times to try to, to try to say, okay, what's going on here? Uh, the university at one point brought in a, a uh, front end loader to level off these these berms that the soldiers are attacking from, uh, since it's an abandoned space and it's not not a listed as any, any kind of a of a uh, military base. Um, and the army uh, confiscated the front end loader, um, held the uh, the assistant um, uh, dean for like four, four or five hours, uh, threatening to arrest him. And get, but gives no explanation for why why they're doing it. No explanation for what. And, I, and I'm going to be, be honest. I, I'll be honest. I looked at it and trying to figure out what they're protecting. You know why they're what. Uh, you know are they afraid the students are going to attack them? Um, trying to figure out what it is. And uh, as best I can see, it's just playing a, a uh, training exercise, just a training, a place to put students, soldiers and train them. I just am I'm wondering what the response is from the students, because it seems designed to produce fear and, and rage. I, I mean, I, I live by the University of Virginia, and I think it was last year the police, uh, you know, baselessly beat up one young African-American student, and people took to the streets and marched and protested in front of the police station and raised hell about it. Um, what, uh, you know, what sort of response is brought on by these Israeli military attacks on a campus? Well, uh, it is similar that students all get out and um, young men from around the city come down and um, they throw some rocks at the at, at the uh, at the soldiers to try to keep them back or to do not just stand there and do nothing. They do what you know. And the result is that you know we try to document the injuries. So I would go to the emergency room and you know, there's actually two and try to document the injuries because we want we want to actually quantify what was happening. And I would say on an average attack, there would be um, 20 to 30 people who would be treated for gas inhalation. Um, these are students. And there would be there would be like eight, you know, depending on the day, but I'm trying to average it, eight of them actually shot, um, using legs and hands and stuff. But um, it's just unbelievable. When the Israeli military is compelled to give some sort of statement to various atrocities, uh, it typically blames it all on the people throwing rocks. Does does the does the throwing of rocks actually keep the soldiers back and prevent violence, uh, or does it does it serve as a as a justification for it? I guess neither. On the one hand, I've watched uh, a number of demonstrations where uh, they were throwing, where the students were throwing rocks. No, and let's, let's just keep, let's leave Kadori for a while and go to some of the other places. So, for example, up in, in Kufa to Kadun, um, there's a there's a situation where um, there was a, two settlements were put between Kufa Kadun and Nablus, and then the military shut the road off. Now, this meant that the people in Kufa Kadun could no longer 
instead of going five, ten minutes to, or ten minutes to Navas, it took them 45 minutes to go around. And when I was in the ambulance with some, some injured people, I was told, look, we've had people die in the ambulance while we're getting there because we have to go way all over the, all over the place to get there. So there's regular um, protests. There's weekly protests. In fact, it's actually now bi-weekly protests trying to say, you know, we've got to get this road open. So in that case, you know, you can only throw a stone so far. Typically, all, they can, the, the Israelis, if, they, if they're doing a defensive, if they're trying to defend the soldiers from the rocks, first of all, the rocks are wildly inaccurate all over the place. Um, secondly, you know, the rocks are just little rocks coming down out of the air, and you got a helmet, and you got a jeep, and you, or you got a tank, or whatever you want. Uh, so it's like, um, these are not very threatening. But um, they could easily hold people back with, with gas. I've watched times when, uh, so they could, because gas is, is tough. So you fire the gas out there, and you push it back. And once the gas clears, they're probably going to come back again, and you fire gas. And you could keep them. You could easily keep them out of stone throwing range with just gas. But I've watched situations uh, in Kufkadun a number of times where they, from the best I could see, they intentionally didn't use gas so that the demonstrators were coming closer so they could shoot them. And I've got videos of. of Soldiers, uh, Israeli soldiers, uh, for example, uh, one on each side of a, of, of a jeep, sitting there with scopes on the end of their M16s, uh, uh, look searching for targets uh, in a situation where they could perfectly easily just fire a little bit of gas and uh, and push the demonstrators out of stone range. But if they did that, they put they push them out of out of uh, shooting range. You know, a lot of the weapons of the Israeli military are uh, courtesy of U.S. taxpayers, uh, gifts from the U.S. government, uh, and uh, it was rather stunning uh, this past year to see the Israeli government demand that that deal with Iran about nuclear weapons be killed uh, and uh, the billionaires demand it and, and have the U.S. government say no. I mean, it looked like saying no to the Israeli government about something which I can't recall uh, previously, uh, which seemed to raise the possibility that maybe the U.S. government could say no more free weapons next year. Uh, <laughs> am, I, am I dreaming? Is that possible? I think you, I, you bring up two things. One is I just want to tell a little vignette about that issue of uh, us supporting what's happening there. Um, I was uh, trying to, for various, I was trying to get up into, into an olive orchard to help the olives, um, and the soldier was keeping from, so I was talking to him and getting him to get a supervisor, supervisor, etc. But I so I started talking to him about his weapons because they're all weapons which I've carried. And uh, suddenly he said to me, "Oh yes, yes, my weapon is, is American. My ammunition is American." He turned around and said, "My jeep is American." And then he looked and he said, "You know, even my boots are American." And it suddenly made me realize that um, as Americans, uh, or as an American, I have a real responsibility for, for what the Israelis are doing here because I'm making it, you know, I'm funding everything. And, and you bring up this question of, of why or uh, whether we could stop or whether we could uh, say, look, uh, no, more, no more funds until you stop the settlements and the settlements are appalling. Um, and of course we could. Um, but it comes down to the old issue of politics. Um, the uh, gov- our government will 
bends to the to the biggest biggest pressure. And um, certainly, we know that the APAC and the Israeli lobby in the U.S. is very powerful. Um, the uh, Netanyahu, Prime Minister of, of Israel, has told our government and our president to, to shut up and and, uh, and quit bugging them and leave them alone and, and so forth and so on. Um, but apparently, the uh, I think it is because the American people in general um, don't don't you know, aren't giving the political support for standing up to Israel um, that that is necessary. So there are some there are some Jews who vote on what the government does in Israel, but most of the rest of us who may not agree with what uh, is happening in Israel don't vote on that issue. So, so is it accurate, Elliot, to say that that APAC put everything into killing that Iran deal, but because there was such publicity around it and such public awareness and demand, uh, among other factors, that uh, it went through anyway? And uh, oh, I, yes, I would agree with you one hundred percent on that. I think it's absolutely true, and I think that um, APEC is curious about it, uh, and I think that the whole fear of Iran is is fueled by by uh, Israel. And I think we have to understand that, um, you know, <laughs> it's hard to imagine, but, but you know, all of the young congressmen and senators are taken to Israel and, and, and wined and dined and, and, and fed the Israeli story. Uh, lots of our, uh, lots of, our uh, of our generals are, are taken to Israel and wined and dined and fed the Israeli story. Lots of our police chiefs and police officers are taken to Israel. So they have a... a um, a conscious and deliberate <laughs> process with our funds of, uh, of of bringing people from the U.S. to uh, bringing officials from the U.S. and and indoctrinating uh, the wrong word, but but making sure that they understand what the Israeli theory on Um Well. But it seems that on the case of that Iran nuclear deal, that the uh, the side of, of peace and justice had a U.S. president and prominent members of one of the two mega political parties in the United States on the right side, at least for once, sort of uh, momentarily, uh, and that was an enormous help. Uh, in terms of the settlements and the occupation and the constant violence uh, toward Palestinians, uh, I mean, there's there's not a president in the White House. There's not a president. Uh, there's not a presidential candidate in either major political party. Uh, how will will BDS will will boycotts, divestment, and sanctions uh, advance the cause to the point where we have some some power in Washington, or what what might do it? Well, I think you bring up a good point, uh, Dave. I think that this issue that people can make the change. Um, and we have made the change, and uh, frequently we, or throughout history, we have uh, the, the people have gotten themselves together and made a big issue about something, and the government changes. So I think that that's there. Um, I think BDS, uh, I don't know if people are aware of it, but that's uh, boycott, divest, and, and sanction. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it is a powerful tool. Um, and it's well worth just looking at every product before you buy it and make sure it's not as Israeli. Um, and I think, I'll be perfectly honest, I think that uh, helping Israel get out of the situation they're in is, um, is 
really necessary for survival of Israel. It will not survive. They will not survive this continued continue, continue, under this continued occupation, and it's got itself kind of into a box because um, it was looking for, um, you know, for a long time it was the land-based aircraft carrier in, uh, that's what they called itself. Not that we need land-based aircraft carrier in the Middle East, but um, that's sort of what it did, and that's why it stayed important to the Western world. And then uh, 9-11, it was looking for a new claim for why it was important uh, to the to the uh, Western world, and um, it, it settled on, on terrorism and said, okay, we are at the center of terrorism, we are the most knowledgeable people in terrorism. So it's uh, now got itself in this box that if, if, uh, if it stops the conflict with, um, with Palestine, um, then it sort of no longer has a value uh, and no longer has a place. And then, of course, with Netanyahu, the... Um, the racism and the hate that he promotes is what keeps him in office. So they're sort of in a box. Um, and if we really care care about Israel, we, we need to sort of help them. We need to help them get out of that. Um, and, and and as you say, we give them um, we give them three billion dollars a year in milita- in just military aid. Um, they are the big. They receive the most aid from. Uh, from the U.S. that any nation in the world receives, so we basically fund them. Um, so I think we do have both the power and the responsibility to help our, uh, our politicians understand that um, we need to stop this. We can't, and we, we can't, we we can't morally or actually legally keep supporting what is happening there, and. From, a, from an international point of view, and from a point of view of, so for example, protection of, of, of our soldiers and our money on war, um, there is no question that the um, that a lot of the conflict in the Middle East comes comes from our position in Israel. And as as I remember an Arab telling me two years ago, um, Israel's not not the problem. Israel is just the spear point of the U.S. crusade against Arabs. And that's not an uncommon thing. And I, and I will say that, that the, the attitude that I saw this year um, towards the U.S. was measurably distant in the West Bank and in Arab countries, was measurably distant, different from what it was last year. So already, um, people, last year, people would say, oh, you're from the U.S., U.S. is wonderful. And then they might say, you know, we don't really like the government, but we like the people. This year, um, there were people who would sort of walk away. And they heard from when I was from the U.S., um, people would, or people would say, "We hate your government, but you know we like the people." So the measurable change of more animosity to the U.S. from last year to this year. Why? What do so you I, what do you credit that to? <laughs> our behavior, our continued uh, fueling of wars in the Middle East, our continued of funding the. Uh, the uh, occupation and, and uh, the aggression of Israel. Um, sooner or later, people will begin to say, "Wow, you know, the the image of, of America in, in the, on the TV uh, is one part, but but what they're doing is something else." Yeah, we're we're speaking with Elliot Adams, who's a former national president of Veterans for Peace in the United States and a leading 
peace advocate. Um, Elliot, I assume most people are up on Washingtonian euphemisms, but you, you said that we, we need to help Israel, and you said that we're giving Israel more aid than, than any other country. Uh, of course, the aid is not aid at all. It's uh, weaponry that's making things worse, and the we is not we at all. It's the, the United States military. Uh, but you're over there with something called the Meta Peace Team, uh, engaged in nonviolently intervening to, to help things. Can you tell us what that team is and, and what you do to help? Sure, I'd love to. And David, the uh, so Meta Peace Team is a um, it's a peace team, and essentially the concept behind the work, which is we call technique third party nonviolent intervention. That's third party nonviolent intervention. Essentially, the idea is that um, conflict is normal. There's nothing wrong with conflict. Conflict is part of life. Conflict is what gives me permission to be an individual. If we're going to if we're going to support diversity, if we're going to have conflict. The problem is is the violence of conflict. So when when so. And we feel like conflict does not inherently involve violence. Any conflict can be dealt with without violence. So, and that third third party individuals can help another uh, other people in conflict avoid the violence. So sometimes when you, people are in conflict themselves, they have a hard time not uh, escalating into violence. But third party individuals can play a role in reducing that. So that's the work we do. And a lot of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. Well, I just say a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the work the work is sort of the, the four main tools that we use. Uh, although I use anything anything you can imagine in any occasion, but the main tools you use are are um, protective accompaniment. So that oftentimes by having a a person another person uh, or a group of people around somebody, they can be protected. A classic example we all. Remember, is in, is in Central America. It was clear that if there was an international, a person from outside the country, uh, with a alternative candidate, they just didn't get assassinated as quickly. Um, the so protective accompaniment, um, inter, inter, interpositioning, positioning yourself between the the aggressing parties, uh, which obviously takes a little care and in, in in thought ahead of time, observing and, and monitoring, so that. Uh, so, for example, in the West Bank, some of what we did was just to record the, the violations of international law, reporting to the UN, um, and it's oftentimes for making yourself obvious. So, for example, one of the gates where they the soldiers would open the gate. In this case, the wall was put between the where the where the farmers lived and where their farm was. So, in order to get to their farm, every single day they had to go down to the to, to the to the apartheid wall and get them to open the wall, open the gate and let them out to uh, do their farm work, and then in, in the evening they open the gate and let them come back in. But the problem problem is is a tendency for the soldiers to go up whenever they whenever they feel like it. So um, the gate is supposed to be open from seven to seven thirty, but the soldiers may get there at six or six thirty and open the gate and whenever all the all the farmers who our president had gone through. They'll close the gate, hmm. um, and the soldier, the, the farmers who thought they were they, they were going to get there at seven o'clock to to go through the gate can't do it. The result is they, you know, you go to the gate and these people, these farmers have been standing there since four o'clock in the morning, um, waiting for the gate because that's what they have to do. So 
um, we would make our presence very obvious there. And so they would say the soldiers would see us there, and we'd say, well, we're here, Mon. we're just recording when you open the gate, when you close the gate, to be sure that, you know. And, and in fact, it made a difference. The soldiers would would uh, would stand there, and nobody would be around, and, and we'd be, you know, I, I uh, spent time when I would stand be standing there, and the soldiers would be the only people around because um, I was watching my watch, they were watching their watch. So that's, you know, observation makes a difference. And, of course, modeling is also another part of this tool. And this is work which can be done uh, internationally, but it's also work that can be done in, in communities. One of, one of our chapters, uh, uh, well, one of our teams, we aren't chapters, one of, one of the teams which, which we trained and, and set up uh, looked around the community and said, oh, you know what? We have students who are going through, uh, who are going to school, young, you know, elementary school kids who are getting their lunch money taken from them and who are being bullied in the way to school. So uh, we can show up in the morning. It's the same thing, something we also did in, in the West Bank, and just pick up the students and, and walk with them as, uh, to their school just to make sure they get there safely. And they also found that there were elderly in the city who were targets for theft when they went to cash their their uh, social security checks because they're old people and everybody knew exactly what the day they were going to get their check and they're going to cash it. So they started a company for that. So it's work what can be done in the U.S. Or, uh, and we also do, do work at a lot of demonstrations where there's likely to be, demonstrations where there's likely to be conflict, like KKK rallies. Uh-huh. Um, to try to keep the violence out of the conflict. The, con- the conflict's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what we, how we resolve issues. It's, 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 so that's the work of, of Tiffany and, uh, or Third Party Nonviolent Intervention, or MetaPeace Team is one of the teams that does that. It is a, it is a, a road which can move us towards peace because it can help keep the violence out of, out, out of conflicts, and if you can keep the violence out of conflicts, the conflicts are fine. It's wonderful work, Elliot, and you've been doing wonderful work for years of where can people find out more how can they keep in touch and, and follow what you're doing well um meta peace team that's an m-e-t-a peace team uh has a website metapeaceteam.org and that's one place you can follow the work uh and in fact you can look at uh, there if you go through the to the international teams you can see our blog and, and see reports we did on a almost daily basis of, of the various things that were uh that were uh, that we were reporting on each day, trying to keep a, a record of some of the th- some of the things we were seeing and helping people understand it. Obviously, uh, Veterans for Peace is, a, is an important organization, and VeteransForPeace.org is another one we work with. Um, and 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 uh, D- David, you have a lot of you put up a lot of very important information, um, very important for all of us in the movement to because you get that get that get. The truth out there. So uh, all of your websites, uh, and and I can't go beyond without also mentioning World Beyond War, which I um, have been, which I use frequently. I, I often, I, I got to just tell you this if you have time, David. I, I uh, when people ask me, like sales clerks ask me, is there anything else I can do for you today? I usually say, uh, well, we can stop war, and almost invariably I get a, a positive answer. Yeah. Uh, oh wow, that's really great. You know, it's all too bad we can't do it, or I wish we could, or can we? Um, and and I always refer them to World Beyond War because that is is a way of giving them the longer argument, uh, which, which I don't have time to do at, at that moment. Uh, I, I, and World World Beyond War is a great 
great tool for helping us um, do what we need to do, which is abolish war. I, I wish we, I wish Elliot, we had another hour to go into it right now, but we don't. Elliot Adams, thank you so much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. Thank you for all your work. I really appreciate it. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.